Hello, hello, hello. Good morning to you. I am thrilled to be here with you. This is your host of Ellie 2.0. That would be me, Ellie Krug. I am just really happy to be here to start your week with you. I know it's Monday. Oh, my God. Um, but um, you will get through it. I promise you will. And, um, and you have me to start it with because I'm here to try and cheer you up a little bit with my bubbly idealism about the world. And as you know, this show is um, by me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. And, I, and even though I have um, listeners who say, Ellie, you don't have to keep saying that. The problem is I'm quite neurotic. And I, you know, and I know that there are new listeners that hear and they're like, well, it's a woman, but it sounds like a man. That goes and explains that. Okay, so... You, um, you will recall that two weeks ago, I did a live show from Montgomery, Alabama. And I was in Montgomery as part of a 3,300-mile speaking and listening road trip. Yep, I got in my car. I drove from the Twin Cities down to Tallahassee, Florida, where I began that trip. And then I made my way back through Alabama, um, Mississippi, a little bit of Georgia, um, a little bit, uh, not necessarily in that order, a little bit of Tennessee, and uh, ended up in Indianapolis at the end of the trip. And um, Indianapolis is about where the South begins and the, and the Midwest ends. So um, when I was on the air live in Montgomery um, a couple, several weeks ago, I spoke about the history of Montgomery, that it was a slave hub, but also the birthplace of the civil rights movement with Rosa Parks and the Montgomery boycott, bus boycott. But Montgomery is also the home to the Southern Poverty Law Center. And one of its founders, a man named Morris Dees. Um, now, Morris Dees is—he's an icon in certainly in the legal community because Morris is a lawyer. And I was fortunate enough to see uh, Morris speak at a legal conference in the mid 1990s. And um, when he was introduced, he got a standing ovation. While he spoke, I believe he got a standing ovation. And then when he was done. He got a standing ovation. And frankly, as he talked about his work as a lawyer, um, taking on hate groups, and I'll get to that in a second, me sitting there in the audience listening to him speak, um, it was actually one of the proudest moments I ever had of being an attorney. And um, some of you may recall that I was a trial, civil trial lawyer for almost 30 years, more, more than 100 trials under my belt. So I want to talk today very briefly about Morris Dees. He's 81 years old now. Um, he's a graduate of the University of Alabama Law School. Um, he did that in 1960, and then he opened a law firm in Montgomery. Now, Morris started out, actually, on the wrong side of the civil rights movement. Um, he started out in um, uh, the early 1960s, actually representing a member of the Ku Klux Klan, who is facing federal charges for attacking the Freedom Riders. You may recall, as part of the Civil Rights Movement, there were buses filled mainly with um, white um, liberal kids from the North who would go to the South, ride these buses, and part of that um, was to go and help uh, blacks register to vote. 
and members of the Ku Klux Klan were attacking those buses. I mean, Life magazine had a big spread. Of, that's how I learned about it as a kid, seeing Life magazine write about or have a, a photo spread about one of the buses burned out. And so Morris Dees represented one of those Ku Klux Klan members charged by the federal government with attacking the Freedom Riders. And Morris Dees, Morris got that man off. He got him acquitted. But later, uh, Morris said that he had an epiphany about that experience and then he directly and completely changed course. And uh, in 1971, he co-founded the Southern Poverty Law Center with a man named Joseph Levin. Um, and Morris's and Levin's strategy was very innovative. They decided that they would take on hate groups by filing civil lawsuits to secure money damages to compensate the victims of crimes caused by, inflicted by those hate groups. And so um, one of his very first successes was in 1981, Morris Dees and the Southern Poverty Law Center sued the United Clans of America, and they won a $7 million judgment. And that was um, the, a rising out of, that was a wrongful death suit, so it was a civil case, a wrongful death suit for the United Clans' role in the lynching, yep, you heard that, the lynching of a black man named Michael Donald. Um, so Dee's got the civil judgment against the Klan, and then um, they uh, then they went after the Klan for its assets and it owned property, and they forced uh, the Klan into bankruptcy, and then sold the property, the Klan's property. They sold it and then gave the money to the family of Mr. Donald. Subsequently. Morris Dees and the Southern Poverty Law Center won twelve million and sixty-five million, uh, excuse me, twelve million and six point five million dollar judgments against Aryan nations. Uh, that would be skinheads, again white supremacists. Now this hasn't come without personal risk to Morris Dees. He's been the, the target of death threats. Southern Poverty Law Center has been the target of bomb threats, and according to Wikipedia, more than thirty people have been jailed over those death threats and bomb threats. Um, that's a lot of people going after somebody and their organization. One last note, the Southern Poverty Law Center maintains a hate map. So if you go to their website, that is the Southern Poverty Lawcenter.org, if you go to their, their website on, one of, on the landing page, one of the, one of the other buttons that you will see on the landing page is hate map. And you can click on that. And that will track 917, yes, you heard that number right, 917 hate groups that currently operate in the United States. That's compared to 457 such hate groups in 1999. So um, almost a doubling um, in hate groups in less than 20 years. There's been a 197% increase in anti-Muslim hate groups since 2015, and the map will tell you also that there are 130 Ku Klux Klan groups operating. There were in 2016. And if you go to the map, you will see in Minnesota, now our home state, our liberal home state, you will see that they, that the Southern Poverty Law Center identifies four hate groups in our state, including a skinhead group. Go to, go to that map and take a look at it. There are a couple of the other, three of the other hate groups are publishers of hate literature. 
publishers of literature that that directly and expressly marginalizes other humans based simply on their religion or skin color. Go to that map, look at what, look at the map as a whole, and then look at Minnesota and think about it. It is, for me, very eye-opening. I am a fan of Morris Dees. I'll just tell you that. He is an idealist, and he's someone who uh, put his energy and legal talent um, behind his idealism to help make America a better place for all of us. And uh, I don't know if you support the Southern Poverty Law Center. I do. I urge you to go and at least investigate the work that they're doing. Learn more about this man, Morris Dees. He is such a role model for our kids and certainly for our adults as well. And I'm just so incredibly impressed. When I come back um, from our break, I'll talk about what I've learned during that road trip through the South. It was a fascinating experience for me. Um, you can actually read about it on my blog at elliekrug.com, but I'll talk more about it when we come back uh, from our break. And so you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0. Boy, isn't that great? I get to call the show by my name, which is a different kind of radio show, one that taps into the idealism all of us have as we long for a better, more inclusive world. That's really what makes America great. I'd love to hear from you at le2.0radio at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com and sign up for my newsletter, The Ripple. And we'll be back uh, for more after this break. Thank you. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life could benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Located just north of 50th in France, the Great Wall Restaurant has provided a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Specializing in Sichuan and Peking dishes, they offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include hot and sour soup, pan-fried dumplings, and mushu pork with homemade Chinese pancakes. Stop by their Edina location or call for takeout at 952-927-4439. See the full menu at greatwallrestaurant.us. 
Get ready for the 2018 Blue State Ball. Hi there, Matt McNeil encouraging you to join us for a great annual tradition for Democrats and like-minded left-leaning individuals. The Blue State Ball is set for Saturday, March 10th at the same great location we were at last year, the Blaisdell Mansion in Minneapolis. Coming back to the Twin Cities are two of the station's favorites, Tom Hartman and Norman Goldman. We'll begin the evening with a VIP event starting at 5.30 with hors d'oeuvres and drinks. And at 7 p.m., the general admission begins. With it being an election year, we are expecting a ton of special political guests. And as always, Mike McAtee, many of the great weekend hosts, and myself will be there too. Hang out with great Democrats, check out the sponsor table, and enjoy the rousing speeches taking us into the evening. VIP tickets are $100 each and are limited. General admission tickets are $35 each. Go to am950radio.com for ticket information. That's am950radio.com, Saturday, March 10th at the Blaisdell, 2322 Blaisdell Avenue in Minneapolis. It's the 2018 Blue State Ball. We'll see you there. And we are back. Welcome back to AM 950 and LE 2.0, where I'm not afraid to call myself a practical idealist and where I'll talk about how together we can make this world a better place. Um, um, in the first segment, we talked about Morris Dees and the work that his organization, the Southern Poverty Law Center, does. They are based in Montgomery. And I was in Montgomery, Alabama. I spent um, some time there doing a civil rights sightseeing trip, and I talked about that on my live show a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I want to talk a little bit more about what I learned on that trip, because I'll tell you, I learned a great deal about this country of ours, and I learned a wonderful amount of information about my fellow Americans. And so a primary goal of the trip was for me to learn what it meant to be quote-unquote other in the South, to learn what it's like in 2018 to be from a marginalized community living in the South. And, and and the reason for that was, even though I've traveled across the country doing a great deal of speaking and training on human inclusivity, I have never been to the South to speak before this. And I had, in fact, uh, my efforts to go to the South um, had been rebuffed. I actually um, volunteered once to go and speak to the lawyers in North Carolina after HB2 came into effect. I wanted to go and train them and speak to them about what it meant to be transgender. And I actually said I would waive my fee and pay my own airfare. And um, the uh, North Carolina Bar said, Association said, no, thank you. So um, when I was on my road trip, I did visit um, Florida and Alabama and Mississippi and Tennessee and Indiana. When I was in Mississippi... I ended up doing an hour-long radio interview on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Um, that radio interview, um, of all places, aired in the rare books room of Ole Miss Law School in Oxford, Mississippi. Now, this, uh, uh, the, it's the rare books room of the law library. That would be the John Grisham Law Library. Does that name ring a bell for anyone? John Grisham. Um, John Grisham, the author, is a graduate of Ole Miss Law School. The show that I was on was a legal topics show. The idea was that I would speak about LGBTQ legal topics. 
but I did not get past explaining what the Q means in the LGBTQ alphabet. What it means actually is um, it stands for queer or questioning about one's sexual or gender identity. I didn't get past explaining about the Q before calls started pouring in. Um, many of those calls were from LGBTQ callers. Um, and I was pleased to see that. I was pleased to hear from my tribe in Mississippi. Two of the callers debated whether the Q, you know, that I just explained to you, whether calling people queer was appropriate or not. One gay man called and said he thought it was demeaning. Another gay man called and said, hey, that just totally describes who I am. So, you know, there you go. It's one of those things. You, um, six of one, a half a dozen of other. You can make some people happy, but not everyone. But at the 28-minute mark of that interview, I really started to get a sense of what it meant to be other in Mississippi. Now, I'm going to just parenthetically throw in here, if you go to my blog at elliekrug.com, uh, you will be able to click on um, every day that I took this road trip, I, did, I blogged. And so uh, this is either, I think that this is the blog from uh, day three or four of the, of the trip. You can, you can figure it out by just simply looking at the beginning of the, of the, of the blog uh, piece. And, um, but at the, and, and there's a link for this radio interview that I'm talking about. And, you know, it's a 40 some odd minute interview, but you don't need to listen to the whole interview. If you listen at the 28 minute mark and begin there, and that'll be about, I think about a 12 or 13 minute listen, you'll really get a sense of what it was like for me to be on Mississippi public radio. And I've got to tell you, before I took this road trip to Mississippi, I have to tell you, I had all of those stereotypes about Mississippians. I did, you know, that They'd be racist, that they would be intolerant of me, um, that they would be closed-minded, that maybe no one would even want to talk to me, that no one would even want to hear from me. I'm just here to report upper um, northern Midwesterners. We have Mississippi all wrong. And you can figure that out at about minute 28 of my interview on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. So... Things started to really uh, shape up or change when I heard from Ron from Tupelo, who called um, uh, to, and now Ron, this call was fitting the stereotype because he, he opined during his uh, um, words on the, inter on the radio that notwithstanding my self-identity as a male, he believed that I was still a man because you're basically saying that quote, I'm quoting now, you're basically saying that God made a mistake, period. No. God made you a man, and that's what you are. Unquote. He then added that I should probably accept that certain people would discriminate against me or object to me because they had the right to do that on religious grounds. That if they, he, he believed that if they owned a business, they had the right to refuse service to not only me, but to LGBTQ people in general because we had chosen that's the word he used, chosen to be who we are. Now, I was ready for that call from Ron, but I was not ready for the other calls that followed. And thus a man named Dean called to say that it wasn't about God making mistakes. Instead, he said, quote, God presents challenges. 
And he went to explain that children are born with cleft palates or heart conditions or, con or there are con conjoined twins. And that we as people, as a society, accept that those things need to be fixed. He then went on to say that one sexuality or gender identity was no different and that people should be able to fix themselves to live as who they are. Oh my goodness, I did not expect that. And then I heard from a man named Nick who wanted to share about growing up uh, with a birth mom and then with a stepmother, okay, so that two women in love with each other, living in the same household with Nick and some other siblings. And Nick wanted to share about the discrimination that his family faced as a result of growing up with two moms. But he also expressed optimism and said that, quote, things are changing. Things in Mississippi are changing very slowly, unquote. And he had hope that eventually everyone in Mississippi would accept that people should be allowed to love who they want to love. Now, the way you need to listen to the interview, because the way that, and I have not done it justice, you need to listen to the comment from Nick. I have not done it justice because it was so moving. And I started to, tears started to well up in my eyes. And then, of course, then another person calls that was Gary. And Gary related that he was a 64-year-old compassionate conservative with seven grandkids. And he went on to say to me that he really appreciated that I had, I had said that my trip across the South in part was to listen. And then he went on to say that he understood that he saw me as a compassionate human and that he really, really appreciated that I did not thrust my opinions on other people, but that instead I would listen to people respectfully and respectfully disagree, but that I wasn't thrusting. In other words, I wasn't on a soapbox trying to demand that people think a certain way. And I have to tell you, and we ran out of time. I didn't have the chance to respond to Gary because as he's saying all these wonderful things, the show ended. <laughs> I felt really bad about that. But here's the point. That man saw me. The fact that he would, he would call in, he would listen to the show, first of all, at all, and that he would, for like an hour, and then he would then call in to tell me that he really appreciated me. I've got to just tell you, it just really touched my heart because this man saw me. That is what I am. I am a compassionate human. I am trying to connect humans. I am willing to listen. Oh my God, am I willing to listen? And I am not here to thrust my opinions, no. But I am here to push people to connect, to push people to remember that we are all good, that we all have empathetic hearts, that you listening right now, you have an empathetic heart. It's just that many of us are so afraid about using those hearts. Now, on my trip, I met so many wonderful people, so many incredibly um, kind and generous and honest people. But I've got to tell you, Mississippi, oh my God, I will never ever again engage in stereotyping people from Mississippi. I will never ever again um, think of them as backward or think of them as hateful and I know there is such a legacy in Mississippi and you know what I think that they understand that and I think that there is shame about their past 
I also think that they are willing to move forward far more than what we think they're willing to move up here in the north. And so Elie Krug, the great inclusionist, yeah, I'm making fun of myself here, the person who goes and trains across the country about having open minds. Guess what? Being on the ground, 3,300 miles of driving, including a lot of hundreds of miles driving in Mississippi. Guess what? My mind got opened. I learned so incredible much. And I am, my, my idealism, this stuff that's inside me, this stuff that I talk about every week, I'm just here to tell you, it's been buoyed. It's been bolstered by that trip. It's been absolutely, absolutely um, enhanced, magnified, whatever words you want to say. No, I came away from that trip believing even more in the, in the greater good of all Americans and of our country. You can read more about that trip on my blog at my website at elliekrug.com. Please go there. Let me know if you read it. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at, at uh, ellie2.0, that would be 2.0, radio, ellie2.0radio at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you about this show, whether this is doing anything for you or whether it's like, oh, Ellie, 7.30 in the morning, we don't need to hear about idealism because, you know, I understand that maybe you've been thinking about that as well. But I appreciate you listening to me. I do. I appreciate you. And I I know it sounds so cliche, but I do say it. I care about you. I do. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world with Ellie 2.0 and AM 950. If you like the show, email me at ellie2.gmail.com and let me know uh, what topics you'd like covered. Um, This show, um, I'd like to take it nationally. I would. That's the goal. The goal is to be able to talk about idealism across this country. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com and sign up for my newsletter, The Ripple, and I will talk with you next week. Thank you. Bye.